church and to stand in the gap before Him for the land. Um, well, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, we'll just look at one verse uh, together today. And uh, if you would join me, if you're physically able to stand, uh, we'll go ahead and stand in reverence and respect for the Word of God. Uh, Ephesians 6 and verse number 4. Um, I'll read it once, and then I'll ask you to join me as we read it the second time together, okay? So I'll read it the first time, um, and then the second time we'll all read it together. All right. Ephesians 6 verse 4 says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. All right? Here we go. Ready, begin. And ye fathers... Provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. All right, thank you. You may be seated. We already had a word of prayer, so we're going to get right into it this uh, morning. I read about three young fathers uh, who were in the uh, waiting room. The first was told that his wife gave birth to twins. He was amazed and said, Well, that's funny because I I play baseball for the Minnesota Twins. Well, later the nurse came out and told the second man, Congratulations, you're the father of triplets. He said, That is amazing because I actually work for a company called 3M. This is kind of interesting. Well, the next man, the third man, actually fainted. When he woke up, they asked, What's wrong? He said, Well, I work for 7-Up. He was very nervous. You know, there have been some major highlight days in my life, to be sure. A handful of true mountaintop moments. Uh, I remember the day that I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, and I placed my faith in Him alone. And I knew that my sins were forgiven, and that I had a home in heaven. And and, and that was a wonderful day. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget the day that I said, I do to my lovely bride almost 20 years ago, 10 days. In 10 days, it'll be 20 years uh, from the day that I said I do and made the second greatest decision of my life to get married to my bride. I remember the day that I was ordained to the gospel ministry. It was almost two years ago in Helena, Montana on a Friday. On a, on a Friday, um, And uh, it was a special day. I was so scared and I was so nervous about all the questions that they were going to ask. But at the end of the day, I went back and went, this was a great day when I was set apart for the gospel ministry. I remember the very first Sunday that I was able to stand behind uh, this pulpit here at Cornerstone Baptist Church as your pastor. What a a special, wonderful memorial day, or uh, day of remembrance for me. But then I do remember those four amazing days when each of our children entered this world. And uh, I became a father. The first time, the second time, the third time, and the fourth time. All of those days, I'm not a big emotional guy, contrary to how I've been acting uh, since coming back together uh, after all the quarantine thing. I'm not typically a major emotional guy, but, but I cried at each one of our children's birth. When each one of them entered this world... Uh, I was crying because I knew how much they were going to cost, and I just <laughs> was thinking of all the diapers. No, no, that's not why I cried. I was all of joy because I was so glad to be a father again. Now, many of us never went to school to learn how to be a dad. Uh, maybe, maybe you read some books, you know, when your wife was expecting, you thought, I probably should read up on this. This is kind of a big deal to be a dad. I better figure out how to do this. 
I better try to learn what I should be doing and what I should not be doing. Uh, Maybe you even attended a Sunday school class where they taught child rearing. But really, for the most part, when when most of us became parents, we had no idea what we were doing. And and we had to learn on the fly. Now, one one thing most dads are famous for is claiming that they don't need to follow the instructions. Uh, they order some gadget from Amazon, and when it arrives, they try to figure it out on their own. I don't need those dumb instructions. Um, I, I can figure it out on my own, um, only to go back to the instructions when they realize they're lost without them. After a couple hours of trying to put this together or try to get this gadget to work, they go, I better go back and look at the instructions. Maybe it will actually help me to learn how to do this. Now, God has given us instructions for how to raise children and for how to be a dad. And praise the Lord, he doesn't actually make it all that complicated because he knew he was talking to dads. We needed it kind of simple. We didn't need real complicated instructions. And so he really gives us one verse here in Ephesians chapter 6, and there's others sprinkled throughout the Word of God, but but this is a pretty clear passage. This is a pretty clear uh, set of instructions for fathers in particular. And so this morning, I want to look at the biblical responsibilities of a father. And, and you may have kind of uh, in your mind as a dad, you know, what, what you should be doing uh, based on maybe what your dad did when you were a child. Uh, maybe you, you see it in culture and what other dads are doing, and, and you say, well, I, I need to do that. If I'm, a, if I'm going to be a good dad, I need to have this responsibility. Uh, while may, maybe those are good and wonderful, uh, we want to make sure that we don't neglect the biblical responsibilities of a father. And so uh, this morning I want to look at very briefly, as briefly as I can, uh, these uh, biblical responsibilities of a father as found here in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 4. Now in this we find two commands, one, uh, two responsibilities here in this verse, one negative command and one positive. And so let's dive in. First of all, uh, we see here the command is do not provoke your children to wrath. Do not provoke your children to wrath. Now, of course, the word provoke means to enrage. Uh, to help illustrate this, I, I remembered thinking back to when I had a dog when I was younger. Her name was Racky. She was uh, half black lab and half Dalmatian. And uh, I think the previous owners who named her Racky did so because of the racket that she uh, made with her bark. She was a loud barking dog, uh, but, uh, but she was a good dog, and, and we enjoyed having her as a dog as we grew up. Um, she and I, uh, we had a pretty good relationship for the most part. Um, I enjoyed having her pull me down the street on my rollerblades. Um, we had a good time with that, and now my kids are doing that with our current dog, um, but I unfortunately wasn't always the nicest guy around my dog. You see, my brother and I would uh, make our dog do things when my parents weren't home. <laughs> we would uh, make them make make Racky uh, put on different sets of clothing, and uh, we would, in many ways, torture her. Now, nothing violent, but uh, we would we would torture her. And uh, but there were a couple times when she just simply had enough of our little torturing that she actually snapped at us. You see, she had enough, and as a result, she was provoked to anger. She was provoked to wrath. Uh, She snapped. And you know, as I uh, 
if we draw back to uh, Ephesians 6 and verse 4, uh, there are many children in society today that unfortunately have been, been provoked as well. And, and we see this even on the news today. I mean, they've, they've, for the most part, snapped. They have this anger in their hearts. And, and you could many times trace it back to their upbringing. You can basically trace it back to uh, what mom and dad did. Now, you can't always blame everything on mom and dad. Every child has a free will, and they're responsible for their own choices. But here, uh, God commands fathers to not provoke our children to wrath. And many times, this anger is directed uh, toward others. Uh, many times, the anger is directed towards their siblings, their friends, other authority figures in their lives. Uh, maybe later on in life, as they get married, it's directed towards their spouse. Uh, and many, in some cases, uh, direct their anger ultimately towards God and run away from Him because of a bad relationship with Dad. Now, Paul issues the same command to provoke not our children to wrath in uh, the book of Colossians as he uh, addresses the church there at Colossae. And towards the end of chapter 3, he says this, Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. So this command is actually repeated twice, which underscores its importance. Uh, to not provoke our children to wrath. I came across uh, this little uh, list of 12 rules for raising delinquent children this week. And I thought it would fit here, and so I wanted to take a moment and, and uh, read them to you. 12 rules for raising delinquent children. Number one, begin with infancy to give the child everything he wants. In this way, he will grow up to believe the world owes him a living. Number two, when he picks up bad, bad words, laugh at him. This will make him think he's cute. It will also encourage him to pick up cuter phrases that will blow off the top of your head later. Number three, Never give him any spiritual training. Wait until he is 21 and, let, and let, then let him decide for himself what he believes. Number four, avoid the use of the word wrong. Why? Because it may develop a guilt complex. This will condition him to believe later when he is arrested for stealing a car that society is against him and he is being persecuted. Do we see some of this being played out on the national news in recent days? Number five, pick up everything he leaves lying around, his books, his shoes, his clothes. Do everything for him so that he will be experienced in throwing all responsibility on others. Number six, let him read any printed material he can get his hands on. Be careful that the silverware and the drinking classes are sterilized, but don't worry about his mind feasting on garbage. Number seven, quarrel frequently in the presence of your children. In this way, they won't be too shocked when the home is broken up later. Number eight, give the child all the spending money he wants. Never let him earn his own. Oh, why should he have the things, or why should he have things as tough as you did when you were younger? Number nine, satisfy his every craving for food, drink, and comfort. See that every sensual desire is gratified. Denial may lead to harmful frustration. Number 10, take his part against neighbors, teachers, policemen. They're all prejudiced against your child. Number 11, when he gets into real trouble, apologize to yourself by saying, 
I never could do anything with him. And then number 12, prepare yourself for a life of grief. You'll surely have it. So there you go, 12 rules for raising a delinquent child. Now here Paul says to the church there at Ephesus and, and to all of us here at the church at Cornerstone Baptist Church, more to provoke not your children to wrath. Now how do we do this in our lives? How are children provoked to wrath? Well, there are many more than this, but I want to share with you six or seven of the biggest ways we can provoke our children to wrath. First of all, an unhealthy marriage. An unhealthy marriage can produce in a child's life anger. It can provoke them, enrage them to tremendous anger. Now, in both of Paul's letters where this command appears, in Ephesians and in Colossians, Paul spends some time talking about the importance of the husband-wife relationship. Ephesians chapter 5, a good chunk of that chapter is dedicated to marriage. And in Colossians, before he gets to the command to not provoke your children to anger, lest they be discouraged, before he gets to that, he talks about the husband-wife relationship. So this means the priority is really that we should focus first on the health of our own marriage and then on our children. Now, many homes have this backwards. Kids come first and then marriage, and I've seen it happen. Where once once a child enters the home, it's like marriage becomes secondary. That goes on the shelf. That becomes less important because, after all, we have, to, we have the responsibility to raise this new little life. And yes, you do have that responsibility to raise that new little life, but that little life is going to become a big life. Well, Jared's here this morning, and he's a big life. <laughs> I saw him had the duck underneath that door frame back there coming in a little bit ago. They become big lives, and then they move out, and then what's left? Two people who don't even know each other anymore? Because you never spent time, because after all, we're so focused on raising our children. Now, I'm not trying to say raising your children is not a priority. It's just not above your marriage. And a lot of people put it that way. See, the biblical order of priorities is marriage first, then children. And not just in the timing, and by the way, that is correct. You should get married first and then have children. That's still a biblical priority, even though it's not very common or it's not as common as it used to be. But I'm not just talking about timing. I'm talking about your priority and emphasis and your timing. Uh, the, The time that you put into raising your children, yes, it takes time, but... You should not neglect your marriage as a result or in the process. I don't think it really can be calculated the amount of wrath that children are provoked to through mom and dad not getting along and ultimately getting a divorce. I realize that I may be speaking to some here today who've been through a divorce and, and, and the purpose is not to try to beat you up. But the fact is, divorce doesn't just affect the two people getting a divorce. It also immensely impacts the children, especially younger ones, and and many of them internalize it. Many of them think maybe it's their fault. And it it acts as a provocation, or they're provoked to anger through that. 
So as I speak to mostly believers in the Lord Jesus Christ here this morning, we need to remember that the decision to marry is a lifelong commitment to your spouse and ultimately to God. Do you remember that day when you stood at the altar? Again, for us, it was almost 20 years ago. When you promised to God and to your spouse that you were going to stay together in sickness and health, for richer, for poor, for better, for worse, you're going to do it. Can I remind us this morning that God takes the vows that we make very seriously? Culture doesn't. Culture thinks, hey, if you don't really, if you don't think this is going to work out, then just end it. But not so with God. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 4 says this, When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it. For he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than thou shouldest vow and not pay. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. Neither say thou before the angel that it was an error. Wherefore God should be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thine hands. Look, God takes very seriously the vows that we make, the promises that we make before God. And the promise that you made however many years ago, that you would stay together for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, God took that seriously. He was paying attention. See, the greatest gift a father can give to his children someone said, is to love their mother. When they know that mommy and daddy love each other, it truly creates a loving and secure home life for your children. I read about a little, little tyke, a little boy, who kind of misunderstood the term broken home. And so his dad had to teach him and help him understand this. And so his dad got this little boy and he said, I don't care if the basement wall is cracking. Please stop telling everyone you come from a broken home. <laughs> it's, it's not sounding very good. <laughs> Look, moms and dads, let's live in such a way that our children would never say that they came from a broken home. Let's, let's love each other. And, and this isn't really like, this is Father's Day. Why are we talking about marriage? Because very much raising children has to do with the health of our marriages. But if you want to provoke your children to wrath, then go right on ahead and fight in front of them. Go right on ahead and yell and name call and throw things. Go ahead and threaten divorce. Go ahead and allow the, co- the kids to come between you. Go ahead and have an unhealthy marriage, but don't be surprised if your children are indeed provoked to wrath. Because that's one way to do that. How else can we provoke our children to wrath? I think secondly here about inconsistent discipline. Inconsistent discipline. Now, God's word teaches us that as parents, we are to administer discipline to our children. Proverbs has uh, several words of instructions along these lines. And here's a couple examples that I wanted to share with you this morning. Proverbs 19, 18. There's many more I could have quoted, but for sake of time, I'm... I'm just going to give you a couple of them. Proverbs 19.18 says, Chasten thy son while there is hope, and let not thy soul spare for his crying. I remember when we decided to spank Seth for the first time. That was one of those mountaintop experiences as well. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just wanted to see if he was awake back there. 
I was, he was what, maybe six something? Four months old, she says. And he just would not stop crying. I mean, diaper was clean. He had just eaten. He had just burped. I mean, he was like, he had, all of his needs were done. So you just need to knock it off, kid. And we let him sit there for a little while thinking he'd cry it out. He didn't cry it. He, didn't, he wasn't stopping. So we're like, is it time? It's time. And so I, we gave him a little swat on the, on the diaper, and he kind of was like, what was that? <laughs> huh? And he stopped. And it was like, hey, this works. The Bible works. I know that it's not easy to do this. And, uh, you know, I know that sometimes it may hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. Okay, I've never actually said that because I know it's going to hurt them more than it's going to hurt me. But the point is, uh, we do need to chasten thy son while there is hope. Because if you don't restrain your children, if you don't discipline your children, then they're never going to be restrained. Verse uh, Proverbs 22, verse 15, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. All of our children were born with foolishness, and so was I. And it's in our hearts. And, and God says the, the rod of correction will drive it far from us. Well, we better be faithful to use that rod of correction. Look, discipline is a necessary part of parenting. And dads, it's up to us to make sure it happens. It's not up to mama. It's up to us to make sure it happens. Now, mama can administer it as well, but dads, it's up to us to make sure that it's going on in our homes. But when it's off and on again, it's confusing, and when you refrain from discipline for whatever reason, I know many of them in my own life. I'm too tired I'm too busy. I don't want to hurt my child. And yet we need to remember that it's a matter of obedience to God. And actually, according to the Scriptures, it's also a matter of love for our children. Proverbs 13, 24 says, He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth, chasteneth him betimes. So it's a matter of love. When you're administering discipline to your children... It's a communication of love. But when you never do, they actually take that as, you don't care about me enough to restrain me. You don't care about my life. You don't care about me. I mean, they may act like, hey, this is cool. Yeah, my parents let me do whatever I want. It doesn't matter. I mean, they may kind of like say, hey, you shouldn't do that. But there's really no consequences that's not going to help them. That's actually going to hurt them. And it's going to communicate that you don't really care about them. But those who chasten him be times, which means in the morning or early days of a child's life or uh, in, a, in a consistent matter as well, when you're doing that, you're communicating love. Eli was an example Eli, back in the book of 1 Samuel, was an example of someone who failed to discipline his boys. And as a result, they were godless sons of the devil who committed terrible sin. All because he failed to discipline them. Here's what God told Samuel to share with Eli the priest regarding his sons. Here's the, 
Here's the message God wanted to told, tell him. He said, For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. So dad knew about their, his son's sins and their disobedience, and he failed to discipline him. He failed to restrain them. And as a result, no doubt were they uh, provoked to anger, provoked to wrath, really against the Lord and didn't want to follow God. So inconsistent discipline provokes. What else? Number three, hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. When you expect something from your child that you are not willing to do yourself, and that creates confusion and tears down your words. The old do as I say and not as I do doesn't work. Now, I'm not suggesting you can't have privileges that they can't have. My mom used to always throw out this when we were, well, how come you get to do this? How come? She would say, R-H-I-P, rank has its privileges. And to some degree, that's correct. I remember uh, one night we came home from church. This is since being here in Oklahoma. All the kids were hungry and wanting a little something to eat. And I was like, no, you guys are going to bed. It's, it's late. It's time to go to bed. And so kids were kind of going their way. They were spreading out. And I was like, actually, <laughs> now that you mention it, <laughs> I'm kind of hungry. And so I was like, I'm going to go get a bowl of cereal. And so Julie and I, I don't remember if Julie had one or not, but I, I know I had one. <laughs> I had a bowl of cereal, and Seth wanted to ask us something, so he comes out of his room and comes and sees us and catches me red-handed uh, with a bowl of cereal in my hand. He's like, I thought we couldn't have one. And I'm like, R-H-I-P. <laughs> when you become a dad, you can have one after church. Uh, and see, what I'm talking about is not just that part. That's... That, those, there are some things that I get to do because I'm a dad that uh, my kids aren't going to get to do. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about biblical principles. Hey, you shouldn't drink alcohol. But then when we're at a social event where alcohol is being served and everyone is doing it, and I don't want to offend my coworkers and I don't want to offend my extended family, I'll just go ahead and have just one. But, but you guys shouldn't. See, that's, that's what I'm talking about in hypocrisy. You guys should read your Bible every day, but I'm kind of busy because I have a job and I've got like things to do. I've got adult responsibilities, so I get a pass. Um, you guys shouldn't engage in ungodly entertainment, but since I'm over 17, I can watch whatever I want to watch. But you guys shouldn't. You guys should be honest. You guys should tell the truth. But then, when I really am not sick and I call into my boss and say, I'm not feeling so good, I'm not going to be able to make it to work today, when your kids know full well that you're not sick. Those are hypocrisy movements and maneuvers that create and provoke Wrath in your children, when they see you, and, and by the way, teenagers and kids are experts at sniffing out hypocrites. They're experts at it. And, and I know that none of us are perfect, but, but the encouragement here is that we, uh, our words match our life, and our life matches our words. Hypocrisy. What else? 
Uh, absenteeism uh, provokes children to wrath. Uh, these are some of the quotes I mentioned last year, or some of the statistics I mentioned last year in my Father's Day message. I won't give you all of them, but just to remind us of the importance of being present with our children. 85% of all children who show behavior disorders come from fatherless homes, which is 20 times the average. 71% of all high school dropouts come from, you guessed it, fatherless homes, nine times the average. 75%, three quarters of all adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers come from fatherless homes, 10 times the average. Executives of a greeting card company decided to do something special for Mother's Day. So they set up a table in a federal prison, inviting inmates to send a free greeting card to their mom for Mother's Day. The lines were so long, they had to get more cards. Well, this was a super successful event, so they decided to do the same thing on Father's Day. But this time, not one prisoner felt the need to send a card to his dad. In fact, when asked about it, many had no idea who their fathers even were. Now, I hope that all the dads in here today will not ever leave your family. And so I'm kind of preaching to the choir in this regard. But look, there is an absenteeism even with physically present fathers. We can be in the home, but we can not be engaged. It's easy to do. We get so wrapped up in our work that we bring our work home and all we think about is our work and our kids come in and say, hey dad, I don't have time for that. I'm too busy. Can't you see? And pretty soon they stop asking and when you want to have that relationship, they're like, oh, I'm sorry, dad. I think the phrase is, I'm too busy. Because we're not engaged when they're younger. I want to challenge us to be available to listen, to play, to have a relationship with our ch children because rules without relationships bring rebellion. You can have all the rules. You can be Mr. Discipline and be Mr. Consistent on your discipline, but if you don't have a relationship, if they don't know that you're engaged in their lives, it's going to produce a rebellion. It's going to provoke them to wrath, absenteeism. Well, I hope that you're present in your home not just physically, though, because a lot of us will check off that box and say, well, that doesn't apply to me because I'm home. Well, when you're home, are you engaged in the lives of your children? Or are you too busy doing your hobbies and watching your sports and doing things that only you want to do, pushing your kids to the side, saying, I don't have time for you? And no one would say that really with our words, but... We do it with our actions. What else? How else can we provoke our children to wrath? I need to move along here quickly. Unrealistic goals and expectations. Unrealistic goals and expectations. There's nothing wrong with having high expectations for our children or for wanting them to achieve to the best of their capabilities. But when we consistently set unrealistic goals that they can never reach, we're going to frustrate them greatly. As adults, we get stressed out enough by un realistic goals and expectations that are placed upon us by others. Why would we want to do that with our children who are much less equipped to deal with it? What else? Physical and verbal abuse. 
Now, this one's obvious. This one, most of us could have probably guessed, was one of them. We obviously need to be very careful to never take our anger out on our children. When we use our physical strength in a way that it harms our children or our intellectual capacity to harm them with our words, we will most certainly provoke them to anger as well. There's one more that I was going to share with you, but for sake of time, I'm going to move on. So several ways we can indeed provoke our children to wrath, and we're told twice in Scripture to avoid doing this. So don't provoke your children to wrath. Do not do it. That's a biblical responsibility. But in our text, we find one more command, and this time, it's a positive one. So we see a do not, now we have a do. Do provide spiritual leadership and discipline. Verse 4 again, Ephesians 6, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but here's what we are to do. We are to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We're to provide spiritual leadership and discipline. Now most dads know that it's their job to provide financially for their families. Most of us know that the buck stops here when it comes to making sure the physical needs are met in a home. In fact, the Bible goes so far as to say in 1 Timothy 5.8 that if any provide not for his house, especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. But providing the material needs for our children, such as roof over the head, clothes on our backs, and foods on their tables, is indeed important, but just as important, and maybe even more important, is providing spiritual leadership and discipline. Now here it doesn't say, but bring them up and make sure they have designer clothes and make sure they have the best eats ever and make sure that they live in a very expensive home. It doesn't, it's not what it says. Again, we are to provide those things. Uh, maybe not to the uh, degree that some of our kids want us to, but we are to provide those needs. But here in verse 4, the biblical responsibility is to Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Unfortunately, though, the spiritual leadership and discipline are the, are the needs that often go unmet due to the focus on meeting the physical needs. Like, we need more money in order to pay for all the things that you think you need. Therefore, I must work more, which means I don't have the time or the energy to teach my children the Scriptures. It doesn't fit in my schedule anymore because I am so busy meeting the physical needs. Now let's break this down very quickly here. Bring them up. I want to look at each phrase here very quickly. Bring them up. Indicates that you are going with them and that also you've been there before. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It indicates that you're going with them and that you're not pushing them, but that you're bringing them with you. You see, you're, you're all growing together. And what does the word nurture mean? It means training. Proverbs 22 and verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. One commentator said that this part means the fathers should train up their children in such a manner as the Lord approves. That is, they are to educate them for virtue and religion. What else in this passage? Bring them up in the nurture. What about admonition? This is, the word there means calling attention to and putting in mind. Um, The sense here is that they were to put them in mind of the Lord, of His existence, of His perfections, of His law, and claims on their hearts and lives. To make them very aware of the Lord's presence in their lives. This is what we as dads are supposed to be doing. This is our biblical responsibility. 
you say, well, no, I thought my biblical responsibility was, you know, to be their, to be their coach, uh, to help them be good at sports. Well, there's nothing wrong with sports and helping them be good at sports, but that's not the biblical priority. A lot of times we do those other fun things, but we neglect the biblical responsibilities. Look, do these and then do those, but don't do those and not do these, is what I'm saying. And the last phrase here is of the Lord. Notice the focus of our instruction and education and discipline should be on the Lord, not what other people are doing, not what culture says, but what the Lord has said in his word. All right. In short, we must provide spiritual and leadership, spiritual leadership and discipline to our family. How do we do that? What does that look like? Um, And let me zip through this here. (coughs) Excuse me. First of all, we must teach the scriptures diligently in order to actually bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, it requires teaching the Scriptures diligently. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And then verse 7 says, And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. We've got to teach our children diligently the Scriptures. Notice here he says, and thou shalt teach them diligently. He's not talking to a church. He's not talking to a Christian school. He's not talking to online school curriculum. He's talking to parents, to dads. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Look, this must be done at home. Bringing them to a good church is good, but that's not enough. They must be first learning at home. Practically, how can we do this? Well, family devotions are one great way to do this. Where you have a time in every day where you gather with your children and read the Word of God together, or even one-on-one with each child. Dads, are we doing this? We give time to our sports, we give time to our hobbies, we give time to our favorite TV shows, but do we give time to teach our children the Scriptures? Notice here, we are to do this not flippantly, not once in a while, not when we feel like it, but we're to do this diligently. This requires effort. We must teach the Scriptures diligently, and then we must put the Scriptures on display. Where do we put them on display? Well, we put them on our walls, on our walls. Deuteronomy 6 and verse number 8, Thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, They shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. Thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on the gates. Remember when I was younger, I used to have posters of my favorite football player, my favorite football team, my favorite hockey team. There's, I don't know if, I don't know if I wouldn't go so far to say there's nothing wrong with that because there there could be, and I think in my life there was something wrong with that because I did idolize some of that stuff. Instead, where are the scriptures on the walls? Where are the Bible verses? Where are the godly things that are on the walls of Christian homes in our day and age? Oh, we have our rock stars. We have our celebrities. We have our, uh, the teen crushes that are all on the walls of our teenagers in Christianity. But, but where are the scriptures? God doesn't say, put up your favorite celebrity on your wall that you have a crush on. No, the Bible says, put the Word of God uh, on the posts of your house and on your gates. 
We need to be displaying the scriptures on our walls, but then most of all, we need to be displaying them in our walk. You see, we must live out the scriptures before our children. They need to see it lived as they say, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Remember it was Timothy who saw his mom and grandma living out the truth, living out the word of God, living out the scriptures. Paul wrote these words to Timothy, but thou hast fully known my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, long-suffering, charity, patience. He said, Paul, or said, Timothy, you've seen me live this out. You've, you've watched my life. You know what it's like. You, you know it's not just words. You know it's in my life. And mom and dad say, hey, I thought this was Father's Day. I thought, I thought I was off the hook for another year, moms. <laughs> no, uh, yes, this is directed to dads, but, but moms can take application as well. Uh, your children need to see you living this out. They need to know that it's not just fake news that you are a believer, but they need to see it actually true and lived out and displayed in your walk. General Douglas MacArthur was quoted as saying this. He said, when I am gone, I don't want to be remembered as a great general. I want to be remembered as a Christian father who read the Bible and prayed with his children. Boy, that's a great thing to want to be remembered for. I want my kids to remember the same thing. I don't remember them to, them to say, well, he was a pastor. Well, yes, I was, but, but more than that, I want to be a Christian father who's trying to do what's right and trying to lead them in that right path. Charles Spurgeon, I'll end with this quote, and we'll be done tonight, or this morning. It's almost tonight, you're thinking. Charles Spurgeon said, A father's holy life is a rich legacy for his sons. A father's holy life is a rich legacy for his sons. Uh, too often, we're so focused on the actual financial legacy that we want to leave our children that we fail to leave them something far more valuable, and that's a holy life, that they can look back to and say, you know, my dad wasn't the richest. He wasn't the most talented. He wasn't the most famous. But there was one thing about him is he really loved God, and he tried to get us to love God too. So we have here two biblical responsibilities that God's given us as fathers. First of all, to provoke not your children to wrath. A lot of, we looked at a lot of ways on, way, uh, on how we can do that, how we can provoke our children to wrath, and so let's avoid all of those. And then he's given us a command here, also a responsibility to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And it, it's going to take some time. It's going to take some effort. It's going to take perhaps even some major changes and radical changes in our homes. You say, well, I'm doing a good job providing financially for my children. Great. I hope you are. But that's not the most important thing. That's not what God highlights here. He highlights the spiritual influence, the spiritual leadership, the spiritual provision you are to uh, give to your children. Let's be faithful to do that one. While not neglecting the other, I'm not saying go quit your job and do nothing and uh, mooch off the government. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying work hard, but don't neglect 
the biblical responsibility to bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to talk to dads today. And Lord, as I've been 